Yeah. <laughs> All right. We we've decided you too. So right we're back, back to back. <laughs> this is right after we, we did the uh, open compute. Yeah. But now we're gonna talk about something totally different. Totally, we're gonna talk we're, about. We're gonna talk about how you program the firmware in humans, <laughs> and, and how sometimes it has bugs. Totally. And and, and in specific, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the. Uh, I just watched the HBO special, The Inventor, about uh, our. Yeah. The, I don't know if, if she's a hero <laughs> at this point, but at one point she was on all the magazines. So. Elizabeth yeah. Holmes. I think most people are somewhat familiar. You say you haven't watched yeah. this yet, but you went down I, this rabbit hole. I like hole. went down the rabbit hole. I listened to all the podcasts on it. There's a whole podcast which is good. I like read all the articles. I, I read the book, like, or I listened to. The which book. which book did you read? Um, Bad Blood. Bad Blood. Yeah, it's so good. Horrifying. I haven't read that, and I think that has more depth than the HBO special. Yeah. But there's probably some things that you really get the full brunt of when you see it visually. Yeah, no, that's why I want to watch the video because I was trying to imagine in my head like kind of what happened. But like, who plays her? Like, it's not real. It's a documentary. Oh, so okay. it's she plays her, right? Well, so it's it's a bunch of stuff with her, you know, this accumulation of things going back to the beginning, and then and then it's interleaved with different people that were either employees or just sort of this post facto analysis. One of the most interesting uh, commentators is this guy. I, his name escapes me, but. I can, I can go look him up. He's a behavioral economist oh, cool. and, and he's got like some fantastic, uh, I, I was just most impressed like with how he thought about some of these things. Cause he kind of had this like mental explanation that made sense to me, but wow. I, I, I'm watch this I think, I think we've both been in different orbits around kind of Silicon Valley startup ecosystems and you know, people want to make her the villain, but in some ways, I don't see how she could have done anything different. Yeah. Like everything, not not just like when she was in Thrones, her whole life basically set her up to be that thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is an authentic New York background. <laughs> it is. Um, it, it's like interesting to me from the point of like just just uh, you know faking it until you make it. But then she never, she never made it. So there's all these quotes from her that are like, you know, you have to go crazy before, you know, you do something. It's like, no, you just went crazy. Like, but, but the thing you got to look at is this larger context of that culture. And when people say that for everyone, you can, you can see that made it. There's, there's lots and lots of people that you don't see that didn't. Yeah. Right. And, and, and her, I wouldn't even say mistake, but the thing that made her a documentary and a book instead of someone you've never heard of is two things. One is she happened to do this with healthcare and people's health and lives. Eh, okay. And then two, it got so big that you couldn't bury it quietly. It, it was just such a big thing yeah. that if you weren't going to make it real, there was going to be, there's going to be more consequences. But, but like, at what point then did she take the lies of truth? Because I feel like to her now, like from everything that I've seen from all the articles, she has zero remorse. So this is, this, this has to be true to her. At some point, her lies became her truth. I'm, I'm actually unclear on that. So yeah. my, my personal lens trying to understand her, you know, and empathize with her psychology. I, I'm not sure that she ever thought it was true. Like I have a few different versions in my own conversations about this with myself. Okay, nice, so it's nice. so just like, did she 
at some point just think like how much can I possibly get away with like there is no chance that's crazy but like let's just let it ride and like maybe sometimes sort of like it will come crashing down but we'll just we'll just cash the checks and like hide the receipts and like that'll be the end of it right like there's a part of me that thinks she wasn't she wasn't so dumb that she didn't know yeah but like it's different than like okay so the fire festival like technically people will say like lives were on the line and stuff like that but like this is entirely different because like this thing was lives on the line like they gave it to kids like that is absolutely insane the test you mean yeah yeah I mean, in some ways, so so you brought Fire Festival. Yeah, because it's the same kind of. It is the same kind of kind of, what's the like pathological, you know, enthusiasm for an idea. Yeah, and like influence, like both of them used influence. I feel like to get what they wanted, almost. No, f- fully. Yeah, yeah. But in some ways, the Fire Festival actually put more lives directly in harm's way. That is true. Like physically. Physically, yeah, for sure. Than, than, than she did. I mean, maybe statistically, like if you think about some of the stuff and like some of the tests, like that that might not be defensible. But in in this kind of acute sense of of like life and death, like fire festival was quite a quite an undertaking to put that many people in like that kind of circumstance. Yeah, especially like not having control. So I was like reading this thing where um, you know the whole design of people on a plane that work on the plane, like the attendants and stuff like that, like their, their uniforms are designed so that they have authority. And so like, if you're doing the thing like fire festival, you'll see like in that footage, like the guy was just wearing like his like beach shorts and t-shirt, like he has no authority. So this thing is going to turn into a mob basically. And that's what happened. Like, well, they also, I mean, I mean they there, 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 was time, like... <laughs> there was a lot of mistakes made before that because they literally had delivered on nothing yeah. that they'd sort of sold. But I, I feel like if there was more, it's also just like, you know, there wasn't enough people to also contain it once you were there. I mean, like, it was just totally. The thing that's similar in this, in this is that both of them sold a thing that wasn't real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and basically had no hope of making it real. Yeah. I actually, I think both of them probably in some phase believed that it was going to be amazing. Like, they're going to make it. Yeah, no, I, I, I fully believe that because they got, like, well, it depends because then also in the Fire Festival thing, they, like, interview the other people. No, yeah, actually, it's the same as that thing because with both, with both, like, uh, of these circumstances, there were the people that worked for them that would kind of get together and be like, is this real? Is this real? Do you think it's real? And then they, like, stay with it. So it was, like, this weird, like, uh, kidnap almost type of scenario where you want it to be real. But, but I've experienced this personally. And I've seen this over pattern over and over, at, you know, at, at smaller scale and with maybe less uh, <laughs> lives and like money on the line in, in a lot of startups, right? I, I would actually argue that I've seen people do things either in things I was involved in or things that I like peripherally like witness that were as deceptive as both of these. Oh, for sure. They just did it at a scale where, you know, it was gone and no one, no one like remembers, right? So. Yeah. So it was only, I don't know, twenty, thirty million dollars of VC money, and not you know nine billion dollar valuation or whatever. Yeah, I think like a lot of people forget like when they do a startup as well, like that like the people that you hire are 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 people, and you are selling them almost on this dream. And sometimes it's like in a toxic way that like you start lying about like the actual reality of this dream coming true versus like their own 
vanity. But but the the thing that this is like where I kind of want to start with and go with is that it's actually part of what they're trained to do. Elizabeth Holmes was trained from birth. She lived next to Tim Draper, right? She lived next to the guy, the VC guy that like makes his his portfolio companies. Like this is a not a bug. It's a feature, right? You want the founders to have this cult-like effect. But that's like crazy. This is the world that these. These, these are the, it's like a, it's not a bug, it's a feature. It's actually a fundamental feature that people are taking advantage of to build the successes as well as the failures. Yeah, that's true. But like at a certain extent, like, like you can have maybe like that cult-like thing and like get people excited about something. But like, then you also have to have the sanity to be like, you know what? We are not hitting our goals. Like this whole thing is fucked. Like we're done. Jess, it turns out you don't. <laughs> no, but you have to have that moral compass that is like, we should tell everyone this is fucked and be transparent. Like when, when do you do that? Like, but, then, but then they might stop working. But then your thing is actually fucked and they shouldn't stop working. It's like, please go find other jobs because this thing is shit. So, so one of the things in the HBO uh, documentary, which I'm sure you'll watch soon, is this discussion about the tile people versus the carpet people. Oh, oh that was in the preview. I remember. So, so the carpet people are the marketing and the executives and the salespeople who have this unbridled positive enthusiasm for how this is all going to change the world. And we're going to bring, you know, we're going to unlock the potential of this knowledge of people's health for them with this, with this revolution that we're bringing to the people, yeah. right? And, and, and unbridled positivity at all times. And then you have the tile people who are the lab techs and the engineers trying to bring all the, all the words that were said over here into, into reality. And they all know it is off the rails yeah. like it is literally impossible not only impossible in the sense that it's like oh we're getting closer but but the physics are impossible like it is not happening not not the marketing that we put out there that is not happening yeah and and so there's this one point where it sets up that metaphor and this particular character who i don't want to you know, give it all away so you should go watch the documentary uh he's he's basically a tile person and and he's telling the story about how he goes and talks to her on the carpet and she just like you know gives him the speech and he goes back to the tile and he's like filled with the mission again he's like what has happened no no see this is the influence where it goes wrong like it, it's so bad because it's, it's, it's like a it's crazy, and I, I do see this actually at startups a lot. But it's it's different in the fact that like then the tile people are like what the engineers maybe or something like that, and then the the other people are the marketing people. And you can also see it at like companies and stuff like that. It's like sometimes the shit is fucked, but no one's saying it. That that's exactly what I. That's the whole point of this episode. <laughs> like no one no one wants to be honest sometimes. But why not? Because like if the shit is fucked, then the shit is fucked. You need to say it, or else it won't get fixed, right? Like it's gonna come out. I I very strongly believe in, in support of what you just said, <laughs> which is that it is nearly impossible, probably impossible to fix problems that you don't recognize as problems. The idea that you will somehow fix a problem that 
not only do you fail to recognize a problem, you refuse to recognize a problem, even when it's pointed out and you're given overwhelming evidence it's a problem. But why, then, well, why refuse, I guess? Why refuse? Yeah. Because hard things are hard. Yeah. Right? And you, and you already decided that there's... So I'll tell you about a startup I worked at. There's all this... There's all these drama things, right? And, and it's like, there's a, there's a board. It was a hardware... It was a hardware thing. And we were working on hardware, firmware, kernels, like all the way up to, to the software. And I mostly work on the software, but I could kind of see like all these, this chain of things that had to happen to get to, to work on what I worked on, right? And, and we're sort of close to launching this thing. And the CEO says, oh, this doesn't match this thing for like this vision that I have, right? For, for like the design, the physical design of the case. And, and so he goes and said, he wants to change the way this thing looks and and the cto tries to explain to him you can't do that if you do that we got to redo all of this yeah like you can't just you can't just like draw it on the on the board make it in the graphic design thing and then say hey here's this thing we got to go back and respin the boards from the beginning and then build back up to where we are there's just if you want to keep the timeline we have then you can't change the physics of what we've already done. Yeah. You just can't. And, and the CEO that I was working for, this is my first startup ever. Oh gosh. Really good. <laughs> so, so this, this, how this, this story got introduced to me is I come in and I'm a software developer. <laughs> like I don't know anything. It's like the first stuff I work for. And I, at this point, I like, I believe in the mission. Right? Like, I, yeah. like I, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a top person. But I'm like, I believe in the carpet people, right? <laughs> and, and, and so then you come to work and there's an email, you know, you, you, you come on developer time, which for me is like, whatever. and then, you know, you do your, your morning and I think we're using some version for those, those days and, and you start building and then, oh, you're going to read your email. Like, well, the first build works and you're like, oh, look at that email from the CEO. And the CEO has written an email that says the CTO is no longer the CTO. Oh, fuck. Right. Yeah, because like they weren't aligned with the, the CEO. The CTO is no longer the CTO. And then about 20, 30 minutes later, there's an email from the CTO. And the CTO says, uh, I believe in the mission. Basically, the CTO who has betrayed himself as a, as a tile person is, is like echoing the carpet people mantra. He says, I believe in the mission. I believe in the CEO. I believe in everything we're trying to do. And you're a great team and you're going to pull this off and it's going to be great. And it's been great working with you and, you know, whatever, like end of transmission. So he was just, but he, he's gone, right? Like, well, this is, this is the thing, you know, and then now you're trying to be a software developer and you're just like full of your Kool-Aid. And then another 30 minutes goes by and the CEO writes another email. The CTO is now the CTO again, right? This is what the fuck. So then they made up because he was probably like, you know what? You're aligned with the mission. Come back on. Like, what the fuck? In this space, like, that was just a Tuesday. Like, this is just the culture that this is embedded in, right? Christ, that is intense. I mean, but you pattern things off of what you see, right? So this is this is my exposure to venture-funded CEO leadership. And- I mean, that makes sense. I've seen some weird shit, too. But, like, that is, like, the person was just then, like, I need to respond. I wonder if, like, the guy even fired him, like, to him, or he just said, right? He did. I, I, I heard from, you know, 
through the grapevine and I'm pretty good at getting people to tell me stuff and stories that there was a meeting where the CTO said, look, if you want to do this, this way that you're saying, like, you're basically putting all of this work we already did at risk and we got to re restart it. And the CTO just, or the CEO didn't like the answer. Like they literally, but the reason that came up in this conversation is in the, the Brano sense, they, they had these imposed constraints on the size of the machine. Yeah. Yeah. No, like so she imposed them. She's like, they ha it has to be this big. Yeah. And, and in the documentary, I was like, it is impossible to fit what we need to fit into this machine to do the things that we're telling people we're going to do with any real consistency and reliability if we're going to have these physical you know, specifications. It's just literally impossible. And people would try to tell her that we, we can't do that. And that was not an acceptable answer. And, and she would fall back, you know, in her own explanation with herself and in her own explanation with other people. Is, well, Steve Jobs didn't yes, take yes. a thing. It's like all justified in this fabric and culture of, of this is just the right way to do things. You just tell people to break the laws of physics and they'll go break the laws of physics. That like, so that happened in the book too. And that's what I found crazy is because like, she could have succeeded if she wasn't so set on it being that size. I think there's things that she could have done very, very differently that would have made what she was trying to do successful. Yeah. Not necessarily delivered on every promise that she made along the way, but incrementally improve things aligned with the mission that she stated from the beginning. For sure. Which was trying to bring these kind of tests. And, and, and there's a pretty straightforward, you know, minimal viable iteration where you pick the test that you can fit in a certain thing and you make it and you solve it and you test it. and then those are available and then you kind of gradually increase what you offer to the point where you're, you're kind of starting to keep some of those promises. But like she just made it all or nothing in the, in the way that she went about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. I mean, yeah. But at the point where, so it's one thing to say, okay, you can't have these dimensions and we're going to have this thing, blah, blah, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's another thing to be like, Oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to set up a real lab and buy these machines from these third parties and run people's labs because we have this massive contract with Walgreens to, to like keep the lie going. Right. Yeah. That's, that's like at that point, you, you, like there's no way you could really believe that you're doing the right thing. Totally. Like you might believe there's still hope for the magic physics breaking machine to come online at some point. But you can't believe like that what you're telling people is true, right? Oh. And she she kept tight control over the demos and how people had access to things and what people saw when and, and the whole like scope of it. Yeah, because like the sales the salespeople were like in the book and like the guy was like it seemed fine like he didn't know enough details at certain times because he's a salesperson. Yeah, yeah. Like, this happens. He was constantly. like the demo work. This this happens constantly. Yeah. The demos don't actually work either. This is the other thing. It's fake. No, it's it, it is, it is like they'd have the investors come in and they would they would have someone's blood and then they would take them for lunch and they would run those samples to the real lab and then bring it back. Yeah. Like they, they knew everything about it was was fraudulent. It's so bad. It's so bad. But like, okay, so then I'm wondering like how the jurisdictions on like the Fry Festival guy and her will be because like she's going to get the shit out of this thing. I mean, like, he's going to get off with nothing. Like, she definitely deserves a shit under the stick, but, like, this other guy's going to be like, 
free to go and do this again. I, I mean, I don't know. She, she's, uh, it's hard to say because none of this is done. So I don't know exactly what she'll get, but there, there's definitely a fall from grace already from where she was and, and how she was being put on a pedestal till now. And, and I don't feel like he had anywhere close to that kind of thing. He just, he just had this acute moment of flaming out. That's true. Right? So it's like everybody knows that he's a shit now, I feel like. Yeah, so, but he, he was never, he, like he had this thing that he was building up to be something that he wanted it to be. But he wasn't put on the cover of a bunch of magazines. He wasn't invited to be this sort of centerpiece of this conversation around women in, in, in technology and women in entrepreneurship. Yeah. That was like this focal point for a lot of people. He just happened to have this, you know, spectacular failure. So there's, I think that it's hard to compare apples to apples. And then it's unclear exactly like, I, I don't know, justice is one thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked a little bit about the, before we start talking, we talked a little bit about how when people get to a certain level of wealth, then, then they have a harder time building true relationships because they like everyone wants your money basically. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think both of the people that we're talking about kind of were born into some of those circumstances already, like the neighborhood where she grew up and who she had, I already mentioned Tim Draper. The guy is giving, so this is the VC, right? Tim, he's like DFJ, like most, one of the more storied tier one VCs or whatever, all the, all through the stories in, invested in a bunch of these startups everyone knows about. He's giving this interview talking about her being his neighbor and he is literally wearing, this is like the perfect, like most, I don't know, like the metaphor is perfect. He's wearing a Bitcoin tie. So he's talking about oh, the rest of his homes and how much he believed in her. And how, oh, that how guy, the poor her. guy. No, no, like he's not the poor guy at all. No, but I mean, like he just doesn't know. Like, but he's a VC. That's true. I guess they don't know. So yeah. He, he, I mean, like everything is great. No, but like Bitcoin I made, I made a like, bunch of money off Bitcoin. I bet. Oh God. Right? Yeah, that's true. Oh fuck. <laughs> it's like all these people are the examples of the the parody of Silicon Valley. No, they it literally that's why everyone gets you know triggered from watching the HBO trip Silicon Valley because it's actually how this fits. Yeah, it's sad. Like all those characters are are archetypical representations of things that really happen. So Elizabeth Holmes growing up in that environment with those kind of people around her from the very young age was, was told you're going to go to Stanford, you know, not, not necessarily like she was explicitly told that, but this is just sort of what's imprinted in you watching all this stuff. And, and then you're going to, you're going to be an entrepreneur and like people are going to give you money, right? And people are going to do this. And it's like, you just do it. Like you just do it. That's, she couldn't have done anything else. Yeah. That's crazy. She, it was just the firmware that in is, your head that, that was, get, that was burned into her brain. That is crazy though, because like, I just, I, I just, I just don't understand where at some point you're, you care about other people. You have to care about other people. Like, do you? Yeah. Like, that's like, hello, we are all in this world together. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like you gotta care. So, so there's, I mean, there's a certain sadness that comes from the disconnect of having too much wealth and not being able to trust because everyone's always trying to get your money. Yeah. But if you really have to care about people, I mean, 
if you walk down the street in San Francisco and you walk them, you know, through the Tenderloin or you walk like certain places, like, do you care? Yeah. I mean, San Francisco is like horrifyingly sad because of that. Like the the disparity of wealth is like, but what what are you going to do about it? It's hard to do anything. Like if you care, I mean, I guess that's the question. So when you care, what, what do you do? I mean, it depends. Like, I, there's, like, all those, like, bills or whatever being worked on for the homeless. Like, I'd have to do more research into it to see, like, what's good and what's bad. So, so once upon a time, I wrote, I used to write blogs. <laughs> Which you do now, but maybe I'll start again. Nice. Uh, it, I wrote this book post, uh, 2008, and it was the first, really the first time I ever came to San Francisco. And the first time I came to San Francisco, I came to San Francisco directly from going to boot camp. So I went to O'Reilly Food Camp, Sebastopol, Wine Country. Everything about it was a fantastic experience. You know, it's a few hundred people on O'Reilly's campus, and every single person there is invited because they do something cool. They do something intense. They do something interesting. They're professor, they're technologist, they're musician. And I met a bunch of people, some of them I'm still in contact with, where like when you saw a person, you wanted to know what they did. Yeah. You wanted to you wanted to make eye contact with them, and you wanted to hear their story, oh, right? Yeah. Like it's just that's what it is. And so it was like this magical week of camping in wine country, you know, just fantastic time. And I went right from that to staying in a hotel in the Tenderloin, which is scary. I mean, I didn't have any, I didn't, I'd never really been in a city like that. I didn't grow up in New York. I didn't grow up in San Francisco. And, and so for me, like it was the first time I'd really been that directly confronted with some of the, the disparities. I mean, I'd seen poor people in, in like my life, but never kind of like that concentration and never where, you know, that you're, they're looking at you. Right. So I went from the situation where I wanted to make the human connection with these super intense, really super intelligent people to where everyone's looking at you and, and you like don't want them to. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and then you also make the mistake of like giving one of them a dollar. Is that a mistake? I mean, I don't know if it's a mistake. Like, okay. So when I worked at like Docker, there was this one guy who like every time I left the office, he would just be like on kind of the corner. But like, so half the time he was like, shitting and half the time he just had his pants down it's like i don't know like do you give them a dollar like well my experience at the time as a as a you know not knowing any better like i i gave one person a dollar and then like all the rest of them wanted a dollar too right and then like i don't have enough dollars for all of them and then just like it's it's like uncomfortable for everyone and but at some point going back to what you said like i really felt deeply like i i didn't know how to deal with it and i wrote yeah, this no, blog post, i wrote this blog post about it because i like I, I was really really struggling with what's the proper level you know seeing all these opportunities and, and we went to a food camp and we went to you know we've been talking to vcs and we've seen all these opportunities and the wealth and all the rest of it and then you go and you're faced with this and it's like what what is real and what, what does it mean to to be a human and what does it mean to to have empathy and like share this experience with other human beings. So I, I, I want to believe what you said in the beginning that got me kind of on this, this little thread that like you want to care and you want to do the right thing. 
But it's like, at what point do you actually have the power to change any of that? Or, you know, and in the context of a company like, like we're talking about, or some of these other startups and some of them I work for and some of them I witness, it's like, you kind of know, but also the, the, the checks are there, right? And like you, you're getting paid pretty well. And there's like maybe this payoff from the stock that you've got and, and all these things together and, and, or, you know, maybe you need health insurance, right? There's all yeah. these things that are kind of binding decisions or binding commitments that you might have that have to do with things that aren't that job that you kind of need that job to like do what it's doing or find another thing to do those things before you just, you know, walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I feel like people are honestly just trying their best because it is hard to know what to do in those situations or at least most people, maybe not Elizabeth. She's like fucking crazy. I, I do think some people are, are completely sociopathic. But I also think that for the most part, like we're all just sort of programmed to do what we do in a way. And then very few people are, are getting to a level of consciousness where they're like, oh, here's this thing that I can make better. And like, they actually go do it. Really? Very few people you think are like that? Uh, I mean, that's, that's what my version of this Because you have to, you have, to have like a level of caring to be like that, right? Because you have to care about the thing to go change it. I mean, not just about the thing to go change it. Like, like very, I feel like most people get it like in ruts and habits and then they just kind of like write them out and then that's their life. And, the, and the, there's accumulation of experiences they have that kind of come into how they view these things and the lenses that they have onto their own emotions and attachments. And, and then like, they're just sort of doing that thing. But they're not, they're not like at a level where they, I mean, it's it's, now we're like in the deep end of the pool I'm like, here. what is happening? I now, we're, know. We're, now, now we're on the deep end of the free will, the, you know, pool. <laughs> so it's like, is there free will, basically? And, and like, if there is, I'm not sure everyone exercises it. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Like, there is like, okay, so so there's that, I don't know if you watched the, the Black Mirror movie oh. on free will, because it like fucked with my brain. Like, uh, I, this is the new Netflix one that's like choose your own adventure. Yes. Because, okay, so the way, and then I also read this book on like, uh, uh, the way people are influenced through like buying different things and stuff like that. So then I was like, is there free will or is there not? Or is it just like a, a culmination of like socio like factors that are influencing you to do different things? It's like really messed up. Like, it's like, I don't know. My brain went to a weird place when I saw that. I'm not sure we can answer this question. <laughs> this is a fundamental question humans have asked themselves for centuries, yeah. you know, if not millennia. But when you look at what the circumstances that Elizabeth Holmes was born into and all these sequence of things of how they came together, there's part of me that thinks it's like just her program. It's just like a mechanistic, deterministic thing that other people that were, they were in that same position would do pretty much similar things. Yeah. I mean, other people in that same position, I've seen them do similar things, right? And and if you come from those circumstances, you've been told a certain thing, like you become that thing, right? Like Tiger Woods became a golfer. This is just like what you were programmed to do from birth. Yeah, 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 that actually makes a lot of sense. Like I almost became a dancer because like it was like almost forced on us like growing up, but like thank God I didn't do that. It would've been shit at it all. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't, but I mean, like our teams won things, but it wasn't fulfilling, you know. Like, that's great. I mean, yeah, yeah. 
that 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 dovetails into another thing like what is fulfillment and how many people are fulfilled but yeah i think for me i feel like we're, we we kind of went through like a silicon valley uh catharsis yes yes that was good. <laughs> is there is there any more left in there that we i feel like that's pretty good honestly i i feel like the balance of it is also like we kind of focus on some of these like negative pathologies in behavior there's also been a lot of very positive things in my life personally that came from some of these same cycles and even some of these same people, right? Like that first startup I mentioned, I got paid a six figure salary to make computers do things. And oh, yeah. like, that was fantastic for me at the time, even though, you know, at the end of the day, they, they spent, you know, tens of millions of other people's money and had nothing to show for it. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Like all, like, you know, I've been in like similar situations, but like then, you know, you do get other Josh Asoff things that you've worked on and stuff like that. So it's like totally, it, it's not training to necessarily, but it is like, there aren't, there are good things out of the bad, I guess. I mean that, but some of it is us, you just, you just make what it is. Yeah. Right? yeah like yeah. You, you, you hopefully learn and you do better next time. And then I don't know what the rest of our lives look like. But I have some aspirations, and we'll see how that goes. And and hopefully you'll you'll hold me to account if I ever have to make decisions about other people's lives and, and like, you know. Oh my God, me too. I mean, if I I swear to God, like I will always care about people. If I ever stop caring about people, there should I, be like a problem. I always want to be at least partially a tile person. Yes, yes, no, for sure. Like either like if I'm not a tile person, then I feel like someone is not telling me what I need to know to be the tile person. But but you also got to find a little carpet person inside of you. No, that's true. Okay, so like the balance between <laughs> carpet and tile is hard. This, this, this is the yin yang. This is a this is a tightrope. You got to walk between Ugh. the tile and the and the carpet. I mean, I guess you have to also choose your hills. You know, of the of the, of the tile people, like choose your hills that you die on. Amen. And so to that, I think we'll call that another episode. Yes.